Welcome everyone into the Hypertime, the Hypertime to Podcast. And I am trying to shake off the rust because unbeknownst to everyone else, we've been off for a few weeks, even though no episode has been missed. So I am your host, Josh Miller, and joined as always, the Podfather himself, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? Um, I'm I'm very good. I'm actually no, I'm, I'm actually horrible feeling very horrible. I'm very <laughs> much worried about this DC omniverse. Yeah, well, so what's going on with this exactly? So in the there was a, a death metal one shot that introduced a character from the Omniverse. He shows shows up and has met like I, I was watching a uh, comic pop Elseworlds exchange, and that uh, Sal, who's the uh, one of the hosts, he he described it as the Omniverse agent as being. He compared him to someone, an executive who d- doesn't know what DC Comics is. Oh, God. <laughs> Apparently, uh, the execs don't refer to a, like to DC Comics as DC Comics. They just refer to it as DC. Hmm. And and not, not just in terms of comics. I mean, everything DC related. Uh. And like it's leading to this whole thing of like there's going to be in March a one shot or a like a very very big rebirth sized uh, story that is going to basically be a sequel to Rebirth. Mm. And I mean, to be fair, if if I get a JSA t- series out of this, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm trying to think, when was the last time they had like a real JSA book? It was. Like it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been. About f- fifteen years. God, I'm trying to think. The last people who were on it was was it Willingham? Yeah. God, that was a long time. Yeah, it's about it's time. It's time for them to come back. I mean, I, I part of me what wants this to count the the James Robinson written Earth Two issues. Yeah, it has elements of it, but. I didn't I didn't I didn't like the redesigns. I didn't like how well actually I kinda did like uh how the High Father made a deal with the Dark Side saying you don't get Earth one the Earth like the Earth One Earth. But you you can have Earth Two's Earth. <laughs> and then they just like after convergence they just got a new Earth that was that was that, that was immediately failing. Because it had no 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 natural resources, but that was some good comics. Yeah, I still need to catch up with that. Like I read, I think I now have the full collection of Earth Two along with World's End. Don't have Society, but I did finish uh, Future's End also. Oh dear. <laughs> and speaking of endings, there is sort of an ending we're going to be discussing today. Except not on the DC side of it. It will be Marvel Comics. And you'll kind of see what we are discussing when it comes to end. Because a certain character kind of ended a good number <laughs> of uh, of characters in a way. 
a species went extinct. Yeah. All except for what, like 198? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. So today all, we were all the all the ones that were that made money. <laughs> so today we are discussing House of M. Uh, which will play off of a lot of what happened in our previous episode when we discussed Avengers Disassembled, um, as this is, there is a bit of time difference between these two events, but House of M pretty much comes directly off of the repercussions of Avengers Disassembled. So figured it was a good back-to-back episodes to do here. So, Alan, was this the first time you were reading House of M? Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, back when I uh, mentioned on a earlier episode, my first, the first major Marvel event I read was Avengers vs. X-Men, mm-hmm. which is the third part in this trilogy. And I had, they were being really dramatic about Wanda and like the big, and like her being seen for her and Vision reuniting for the first time since Avengers disassembled. And like the, the mutants were acting super hostile to her. And I had no idea what, why when this podcast was still in the concept phase, I bought a bunch of trade paperbacks, House of M being one of them. And the story got me. Yeah, if I remember right, I think I might be wrong with my timetables here. But I think House of M is kind of what got me into Marvel in the mid 2000s. Avengers versus X-Men is actually where I finished off before my kids were born. So it's kind of like a nice bookend <laughs> to my little Marvel run for that, you know, eight years or whatever it was. And I remember picking up House of M, you know, as each issue was coming out and I really enjoyed it. I thought the art was great. I liked the I had no idea who the Scarlet Witch was at the time, um, but she became probably one of the biggest players in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> you know, from here on in. And it, there's a lot of things discussed in this event that I thought were wonderful. And I kind of wanted to see played out a little bit more instead of just, you know, a few issues essentially. Um, And one in particular, as you mentioned in the chat, that's one that I probably absolutely love the most because it was absolutely heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah, because I was, I was watching uh, the amazing blank. Uh, the first movie mm-hmm. while I was reading it and I wasn't reading it. I wasn't reading my, the physical copy. I had borrowed it via comiXology unlimited and I wasn't even reading it on my iPad, which would have been a relief or I was reading it on my phone. And I got to tell you, that is not the way to read comics. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to do digital more and more, but it's, it's not my preferred way. I mean, especially on the small phone. <laughs> Yeah, not to, get to go back again to, to DC, but with all the stuff that's happening with them, looks like I'm 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 forced to have to, to go uh, digital. Hmm. This episode brought to you by DC Universe. <laughs> oh wait, no, I'm sorry. This episode brought to you by DC Infinities. <laughs> Is that what it's called now? Uh, they're changing the name. Oh, I don't like that. So let us get into kind of what started House of M. So yeah, during his eight-year tenure writing Avengers, uh, Bendis was able to kind of lift the books out of the slump that they were in, and they had become the best-selling books each month. 
And with the success, he was given the reins to write a big summer crossover, but there was a catch. Um, so that same summer, Joss Whedon was going to be away from Astonishing X-Men. And I think it was the Serenity movie that he was doing at the time. And before he could, you know, come back and f- finish off his run there, uh, artist John Cassidy needed to at least a four-month head start uh, to illustrate the next year of books. And so this crossover needed to involve the X-Men as well. So they were being used during Joss Whedon's absence. Um, so Bendis decided that his crossover was going to involve the Astonishing X-Men and his new Avengers. And the idea of House of M was planted by Jeff Loeb uh, during a dinner with Jeff Loeb, Joe Quesada, and Brian Michael Bendis. And Bendis was kind of running through his Avengers disassembled story. And Jeff Loeb just mentioned, uh, so what does Magneto do? Because, you know, we find out at the end of Avengers disassembled that, you know, Wanda kind of goes crazy, tries to create her own life again and fights the Avengers and all that and takes her away. And Bendis didn't really lay that all out in terms of what the future would be. Um, So that kind of sparked something different that would make what would be a simple crossover become like a more mainline event for Marvel Comics. And the way that Bendis always described House of M was that it would be Marvel Fantasia. And so while Magneto is often considered a villain, he wanted Magneto to be something a little different. And he didn't want Magneto to punish heroes. He wanted them to have their greatest desires. And as we mentioned with Avengers Disassembled, a lot of fans were very hesitant about giving Bendis a larger sandbox to play in since when he was given the Avengers disassembled story, he just went around kicking sand in front of everybody. Yeah. Like Jack of hearts, (laughs) like Jack of hearts and Scott Lang, (laughs) Scott Lang, Hawkeye. (laughs) So yeah. So during his run on Avengers, he had basically already killed off characters like vision and Hawkeye. And he wanted to quote unquote, break the internet with this upcoming story and house of M became one of, if not the first comic event that was widely publicized on the internet, it would become a monstrous success. And before the book released, Bendis actually had a little interview with Newsarama about the story. And this is one of the quotes he had from it. He says, I want people to open it up by the end of issue two. People are going to be like, Oh my God. The end of issue three, I guarantee you, is my best last page of a comic ever. I guarantee you. Everyone who's read it has called me up and said, get out of here. I think by the end of issue three, we'll crack the internet right in half. I think that'll be it for the internet. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was like back then. I want to say he succeeded, but we'll get to exactly what he did to <laughs> warrant that kind of talk um, as we get into the story of House of M. So with House of M is a eight issue event um, with side with some spinoffs that come off of it. And we can talk about those if you want, Alan. Uh, I didn't read too many of them, but uh, the ones we have, we can bring up if we decide to at the end. Uh, for issue one, uh, first, we see Wanda creating a reality where she gives birth to twins again. 
and she's surrounded by friends and family. But Charles Xavier is there to stop her and forces her to put things back and to stop abusing her powers. And so we see the world shatter around her and it leaves her and Charles in a dark room where she grieves about killing the Avengers and her husband. And it's a great scene showing just how fragile uh, Wanda's mind is at at the beginning of this event. Which at least is a little bit better than where she was at the end of Avengers Disassembled, which seemed like she was kind of comatose in a way. Um, but yeah, we learn, you know, between Avengers Disassembled and House of M that Charles Xavier had been brought on to try and help her out, try and heal that brain of hers and kind of bring her back to reality somewhat. And so after all that, Magneto meets Charles outside and they speak about Wanda. Uh, Charles is afraid that, you know, drugs and his psychic suggestions aren't going to keep working and that she is slowly losing her grip on reality more and more. And Magneto has no idea what to do. Uh, you know, he lost the war against the Homo sapiens and he feels like he's lost his children as well. And so he just kind of floats off, kind of lost and distant at this point. And so we skip ahead to New York City, where a number of heroes pulled in for a meeting. And as the X-Men show up and meet in one of the boardrooms, we see Charles Xavier sitting amongst all the heroes. And he thinks it's time that they all discuss Wanda Maximoff. And so we see a little flashback where Wanda is there with Pietro, uh, Quicksilver, and Magneto walks in and... Pietro tells Magneto that they're going to kill Wanda. And the heroes, including Xavier, they're talking about it right now. And Magneto just kind of, yeah, like they might be right. We He doesn't know what else to do. He's lost. He <laughs> is completely unsure of how to help his daughter. And this just pisses Quicksilver off. And then we see the scene with all the heroes discussing Wanda and obviously no one's completely positive on how to go about doing this. Heroes like Spider-Man, Captain America, Wonder Man think that she should live and that the Avengers should make the final call since she was an Avenger. But then you have characters like Wolverine and Emma Frost who think she needs to die to prevent more catastrophe. Probably because if something does happen, she's a mutant and they will... <laughs> You know, that will come back on them as being an already kind of forsaking. It'll make a bad situation even worse. Exactly. The mutants aren't exactly the most favored people in, in the Marvel Universe. And having someone with Wanda's abilities that could make things so much worse is not for their benefit whatsoever. And so they, of course, think the X-Men should make the decision. And whatever the choice is, you know, something has to be done now. They can't continue to put this off because she's a ticking time bomb, essentially. So Charles is fearful his help is on limited time. And Doctor Strange hasn't found a way to solve it either. And so they all travel to meet up with Wanda and see if she has any input on what they should do with her. And so they all fly to Genosha and are met by nothing. Nobody's around. It's eerily quiet and they aren't able to find Wanda. Xavier's not able to psychically link with her. Dr. Strange is, is magic. Can't locate her either. And 
you know, they're walking around the island. And as they're walking around, you start noticing in panels that the group starts dwindling. There's less and less characters as they're walking around the island. And they come up to this chapel. And as they start walking into the chapel, Spider-Man is the last one there. And he opens the doors and the whole world goes white. I don't know about you, but for for some, I don't know why. For some reason, uh, when I was reading, when I was doing this, when I was reading the speech bubbles, Tobey Maguire, his his voice was my was my Peter Parker. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had Tobey Maguire as my Peter Parker in any in anything. It was alternating between alternating between him and Yuri Lowenthal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is almost always animated Spider Man from the nineties. So yeah, we see Peter. After the world goes white, he wakes up in his bed and he stands up and we see a body behind him. But it's not MJ as one would expect, uh, because the picture on his nightstand shows him and some blonde woman who we learn is Gwen Stacy kissing during their marriage and a tuft of blonde hair sticking out from the bed sheets. And that is how the first issue ends. So with issue two. Um, we start seeing everything being brought up to speed as it kind of jumps from character to character in this new universe, you know, the House of M universe, basically. And nobody seems aware of what happened. Uh, Captain America is now old, just a dude living in the Bronx. Nothing special. Uh, we hear over the radio that MJ Watson is a huge movie star as Cyclops is getting ready to, for work and gives Emma a piece of toast, even though she says it's a Pop-Tart. I'm assuming just an art mishap right there. Um, and she makes a mention that she's going to be helping Lil Richards today, whose fa- whose parents were astronauts and died in space, which is a reference to the Fantastic Four. We see Dazzler has her own talk show, and her guest is Wonder Man. And apparently there's rumors going around that him and Carol Danvers, who is our the, thing, are a thing, and she is the most popular superhero in America. Um, and it cuts to... I think it's a double page spread. Maybe I don't have it in front of me, but she's, you know, flying through the city and you kind of notice that other things are amiss because there are mutants behind her flying around, which is not something I believe you see in just regular old Marvel comics. I I didn't even know that was Dazzler at first. Yeah. I can't remember how I don't remember. Yeah. I can't remember how I realized that was Dazzler. I should have brought that. I don't know why I never bring the, stories with me when I do these podcasts. It would help. Yes, Carol's flying around. She hears a police siren. and We see Gambit, of all people, in a getaway vehicle. And Miss Marvel stops him. But Gambit throws him. At first, I was like, is this Gambit? (laughs) Then I was like, wait, because I had like the what had happened hadn't really caught on. Yeah, they don't like give you any sort of hint as to like why everything has changed. It just kind of moves right into the world as it is, uh, which I think is actually pretty cool. I like the way they went went about doing that instead of like, okay, this is what happened. So let me tell you exactly why the world is first before we get you into the world. I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I also did like the little attention to detail with like when, when Gambit uh, got knocked back, all his, all his cards, Fell out of, uh, yeah. out of his yeah, she ends up throwing him into a giant statue of a sentinel head, which is also a big red flag that things are are not what they seem here. 
And so that skips over to Kitty Pride, who is also nothing really seems to have changed much for her. She's teaching mutant students, and their lesson is how Prince Namor was the first mutant. And uh, more importantly to me, uh, this is where we realize that Dragon Ball exists in the world of House of M because a Goku head is shown on the front of a shirt of a girl in the classroom. So I'll take that. Anytime I can see a Dragon Ball reference in a comics, I'll take it. Uh, next scene, we see Detective Sam Wilson walking in to ask questions to Luke Cage about what happened to Wilson Fisk. And we find out someone beat him into a coma, and Luke Cage is totally cool with that. I have a question. Sure. Regarding Luke Cage. Was this his design at the time, or is it just... If I remember, I think he was just in his, you know, was it white t-shirt and jeans thing? So I think his design here in the House of M is more... <laughs> not him than anything. Yeah, because he looks like a mob boss. Yep. <laughs> I want to say, I think he technically is supposed to be, but he's also part... Oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And so the next one is Stephen Strange, and he is now a psychologist, and he's speaking with someone named Robert, who... I don't know if this is right or not. The only one that came to mind is Iceman. I don't know if that's who it's supposed to be or not, but um, he's... He was with his child at a park and he has visions of this all of black from time to time. And that's why he's seeing Dr. Strange, because this wall of black was starting to envelope the city. Coming towards him and then vanishes and they don't really go into that anymore. Colossus is tilling some fields in Russia, using his metal body to cover a large portion of the field. Um, Hank McCoy and Henry Pym are working for Tony Stark and having discussion about locating the mutant gene. And Henry thinks he has a way to locate it, but Hank, I put Henry, Hank is telling him uh, doing that is racist against mutants. And regardless of the intention, uh, it would look bad for the boss and be perceived anti-mutant for him and his image. And so this is kind of where they start playing the seeds that like, Homo sapiens are now the ones going extinct. Mutants are growing by the number. And that is why Henry is concerned and wants to isolate the mutant gene. And so the roles are reversed here in the house of him. There is a Royal family meeting that is about to happen. And Aurora uh, storm is planning to event, uh, attend this event. And she is trying to find the best dress to wear. And we see Janet Van Dyne trying to guide her fashion with the attire that she designed. So we've learned that she is now a fashion designer. And then we see Wolverine, who is dreaming of his Weapon X days and wakes up to see someone who looks like Jean Grey in bed with him. This freaks him out. <laughs> and he gets ready to stab her, only for it to shift to Mystique, who mentions that he didn't mind last night, thanks to his redhead fetish. And... Okay, was this was this before or after X2? Oh! Uh... Because, I want to say it's after. Okay, so because this is, I immediately thought of X two when. Yeah, it's kind of yeah X Men. X two X Men United uh, came out in two thousand three. So yeah, because I think I didn't even write the year here for House of M. Uh, two thousand five is House of M. So yeah, it came out a few years prior. And we got the sequel or the the final part of the trilogy. Several years later. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't quite live up to expectations. I mean, 
I mean, they did try going to go for the wrestling fan with the AVX. <laughs> yeah. So now that Wolverine's all freaked out about having slept with Mystique, uh, he looks startled. He runs out of the room and sees Toad and Jessica Drew in military like. Uh, he runs up a fly of stairs, and we see this splash page of the helicarrier surrounded by jets and sentinels with an ominous M on all of this equipment. And that's where issue two ends. And so with issue three, uh, the first few pages are Wolverine going through his memories, and he's remembering everything that happened, but it's not things that happened in this world. Um. You know, he starts asking Mystique all these questions about what they did yesterday, and he realizes that this isn't right. Like, something is wrong. And so his first thought is Xavier. Something must have been done with Xavier. And so he leaps off the helicarrier, lands on a building in Times Square, and he sees Sentinels, um, ads with people he knows, and stuff to make him realize that this is not the home he remembers. So most of this issue is him just trying to figure out what's going on. And so we see him looking over a newspaper that discusses different events happening in the, in this world, um, including the house of Magnus Gala. We see a mutant stem cell debate raging that involves Otto Octavius. Uh, Peter Parker is having a son because he is a celebrity as well in this world. I think he's a celebrity, isn't he? Or is it just that he was in a, He's married to married. No, no, he's not married to married. What is that? What was it? He was in a movie with Mary Jane, wasn't he? I'm, I think I think his identity is public because mm-hmm. I, if I recall correctly, there's someone who just says like one of someone like, "Hey, Spider-Man," while he's walking with uh, people. Yeah, I'm not gonna say who because I just I yeah. I nearly cried when when I saw that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Wolverine is looking through his paper and decides he's going to steal a bike and travel to the Xavier Institute. <laughs> and he gets there, he breaks in, and there's a couple sleeping in bed. And he basically <laughs> holds the man hostage for a little bit, asking him who he is, where Charles Xavier is. And this man is completely oblivious to what's going on. And when he realizes the man's not lying to him, he splits. Uh, he tries calling a few people I know, such as Charles and Peter Parker, uh, going through like the operator, if I remember right. And the operator's like the Peter Parker fan club, but then he gets distracted because he sees mutants uh, picking on, on a Homo sapien um, person. Yeah, this that 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 bit was a little, a little rough to watch, mm-hmm. or not the, what, what, rough to rough to read. Because he's just, or like the one of them just says, "Time, this it's time for a show, something." Yep. And like when he steals, when uh, Lo, when, or sorry, no, I was gonna say Logan, but James, <laughs> when he steals the bike, I like how he just he doesn't just take take t- pick up the person and put them on the ground and then take the bike. He just punches them square in, square in the face. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, really, I re- I enjoy this issue. Um, you know, Peter Parker and that whole thing is probably my favorite thing. But I really enjoy Wolverine's, like, I'm the only one who seems to know what's going on in this world and his, like, search to try and get answers for it. 
I thought it was really good. Yeah, so in the uh they didn't like you know how with most newspaper uh in comics most newspapers they'd use dummy text? Uh-huh. They actually they actually used like they did a lot of lore building. Yeah, if I remember right, wasn't there like three pages of the newspaper or something like that? Yeah, uh I think they even had like extended stories on each character and their history in the world of House of M at the back of one of the issues. Yeah, so like in this in the the paper that's shown in the issue through in this issue, they have a piece about a Hydra Splinter group claiming responsibility for a kidnapping written by Ben Yurick. <laughs> and just just says a woman who goes by the name of Madame Hydra. And then they mention they na- they name drop Jasper Sidwell, but instead of being a shield agent, he's a cop. Yeah, they do a good job of expanding on the world without needing a whole lot of room to do it. Um, if anything, it kind of piques your interest to find out what the world is like. And, you know, all the spinoffs and stuff kind of go a little bit into expanding that. Um, but yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of Flashpoint in a way. Yeah, like they, uh, uh, Janet Van Dyne, or no, they have also uh, suspected Sapien gang members or Sin Hell's Kitchen. And it's Raphael Vega and Shang-Chi. <laughs> and yeah, Peter, his identity is, he doesn't have a secret identity because it has, it says Spidey and son. Peter Parker and son Richie spend quality time in Central Park. So he pretty much went the Booster Gold route. <laughs> and I just love how they have a, a hot as hell and cold as ice list. <laughs> cold as ice and cold as ice. Uh, Hellfire Club, uh, Warren Worthington III, <laughs> uh, Jason Wingard, Ralph Macchio, <laughs> Allison Blair, and then How to Sell Tony Stark. Things like this are why I, lo- I, I this is why I love why I love and hate Bendis. <laughs> I loved I loved everything he he did on the Marvel side because I didn't care as much. Or I didn't have much reverence for that for the Marvel stuff as I do with DC. But the moment Jonathan got aged up, it felt like a a middle finger to Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Yeah. And now yeah. back to the show. So we see Wolverine trying to visit Tony Stark in New York City, and instead he is greeted by his former Shield teammates of Rogue, Toad, Nightcrawler, Jessica Drew, and Mystique. And as he is fighting his way out, uh, he gets help from a resistance squad, um, which includes Cloak. And this is where he meets up with Luke Cage. And Luke tells him to trash the tracker in the base of his neck. And if he doesn't, they'll do it for him. And this will be done courtesy of Hawkeye, who has an arrow pointed directly at him. Yeah, and that's the way the way the panel or the way the, the page is done or the panel or it's do it, but it's it's one of those things, one type of air, uh, speech balloon or word balloon where it's, you have to read, go to the next page to find out and just full full page of Hawkeye with the arrow pointed at, or with bow and arrow pointing at Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And that was the break the internet moment, which I don't, you know, I kind of wish I could remember what it was like in 2005 and whether or not that actually did break the internet or not. But considering how many people hated him for killing Hawkeye, 
I have a feeling a lot of people were probably pretty happy about seeing that ending page as well. And so going into issue four, uh, we finally get to see Magnus. Um, he is overlooking his kingdom of Genosha as his grandchild had made a ship. They showing Magnus that he had made with his mind. And something seems off about Magnus. He doesn't seem to register anything that's going on. Um, and then it cuts back to where we left off in issue three with Wolverine trying to calm everybody down and Hawkeye is tired of waiting and just fires the arrow, which does take out the tracker, but also appears to have killed Wolverine. And so everyone, you know, doesn't realize who Wolverine is and that he'll come back. And so when he does, everyone is shocked. But he also notes that being out for 30 seconds is too late and Sentinels come crashing in. They all start scam, uh, scrambling, but Cloak is able to get some of them out and whisk them away to Wilson Fisk's old office. And so this is where Cage kind of starts explaining why Wolverine was captured. And it was because they were interested as to why he ditched S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first place, um, based on what he was told. And he wants to see if everything lines up with the information he was given. And so Wolverine kind of goes back over what happened at the end of issue one involving Wanda, the current world not being what it used to be that night. And what comes as a shock to Wolverine is that Wanda is considered the human one in this world, whereas her siblings are the mutants. And so So, I found a comic book resources press release from 2005. Uh Uh-huh. With a, with a quote by Bendis uh, regarding Hawkeye. Uh, would you like me to read it? Sure. He said, quote, I know no one believed me at the time, but as I said when we first started on Avengers, Hawkeye is one of my all-time favorite characters. As soon as he died, we started cooking a way to bring him back, and I got, could not wait for this day. He's back, <laughs> he's got a fistful of arrows, and he's not happy. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people were not trusting him after Avengers disassembled. So I think, I think people turned around on him by the time and, his run was said and done. And also just, it didn't say who did the, the, the uh, covers when I was reading my comicsology version, but man, Isad Rivik, he knows he, he is, he is a, he's gifted. Mm-hmm. Those covers are so good. So beautiful. So as they're discussing more about Wanda, you know, Wolverine is telling them, you know, this is what Wanda is capable of. At least she was in the world we came from. And Hawkeye is wondering what happened to him, you know, who he was in the other world. And Wolverine tells him that, Hawkeye, you were dead. (laughs) Like, Wanda killed you. And so everyone gives Wolverine the benefit of the doubt when he starts giving names to who all of them are. And this is where Luke admits that he had a vision too when he met Layla Miller, a little girl who they have with them. And Layla is aware of everything too, though she doesn't understand why. Wolverine kind of pieces together why he thinks he remembers. And it's because his mind has been altered so many times in the past that he doesn't remember anything. And all he's ever wanted to do was regain those memories. And so he thinks Magneto forced Wanda to do just that. Give Magneto everything he wants and give everyone else the thing they want most. And how did he do that? By using Xavier. So Wolverine starts planning something 
And so using Cloak, they show up in Emma and Scott's apartment right before Emma walks in. And the goal here is for Layla to clear Emma's mind like she did with Luke Cage's. But as Emma walks in, she's immediately suspicious that they are robbing her. And she still has her powers, so she uses it to free or stop everyone in their tracks. But Wolverine kind of pokes her along that Layla is capable of doing something. So Emma, you know, peeks into Layla's mind. And that's when the flood of memories from the previous world just hit Emma like a freight train. And much like of what Wolverine remembers, we see a scene of the open chapel doors. We see three cloaked men sitting behind Xavier and a close-up of Xavier's face, eyes wide, one tear rolling down his cheek. Just this ominous and quite disturbing image of the last moments of that world. And this pisses him off. And she vows to kill Magneto for this House of Magnus thing. And Wolverine's totally fine with that. But before they can do that, they need to come to terms that if they succeed, that may mean that the world still doesn't get fixed and that they are stuck in this reality now. And that is how issue four ends. So with issue five, we see Emma taking a look inside of Layla's head to try to figure out exactly how she's able to clear the mind of everybody. Doesn't really have any of the answers, but promises that she'll be there to help Layla each step of the way and Cyclops returns home and is very confused as to what's going on with Emma and all these strangers doing in their apartment uh, before then Emma and Layla push Cyclops to remember the old world as well, causing him to vomit there on the floor. And once he gets his bearings, they decide to head out and get some other heroes to take the fight to Magnus. And they're going to start with Spider-Man. Oh, this crap. is <laughs> this is the moment that kind of that wrecks you. So Peter is out walking with his family, who is Gwen Stacy and their child, Richie. Aunt May is there along with Uncle Ben. And as they're walking along, we see the we see Wolverine. We see Emma, Cyclops, all of them kind of confront him and they make him remember everything, which freaks him out because now here he is in a world surrounded by all the people he's loved, including some of the ones that have died during his time as Spider-Man. Yeah, they, if I recall correctly, don't, don't they show what happened? Like, they show Gwen Stacy's next snap? Yeah, I think so. I think they show that in the little flood of memories to Peter. It's, Peter is often considered, like, the jokester and the lighthearted, easygoing guy of, like, most of the heroes in the Marvel Universe. And... It's easy to forget that he has so much trauma that has made him the hero he is. And here he is with none of those burdens. And he's happy. All those deaths are gone. The people that have made him want to be the hero the most are with him. You know, Uncle Ben started it all. With great power comes great responsibility. You know, there's only one way they could have made it even worse for Spider-Man. If they inserted one ca- one specific character. Which one would that be? Captain George Stacy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit. Because, like, because his dying words were, or his his pro- the promise he had Peter ma- he made or Peter made with him was to look after Gwen. Mm-hmm. 
and then issue 121 of Amazing Spider-Man. What happens? <laughs> Snap. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of regret not reading the House of M Spider-Man issue. I might do that after this podcast is over. <laughs> but yeah, this is hard. Because I think everyone kind of has those people in their life that they wish they could see again and that they can't. And so what if you have that option again? In the back of your mind, you know this isn't the world you belong in. But would you be willing to give it up? It's heavy and I love it. I love how Bendis goes about writing Spider-Man in this event. Well, he Peter is the one is the character that he's the most well knowledge with. Mm-hmm. Considering also in Spider-Man. Yeah. So yeah, Peter has this flood of memories hit him and he runs off. And Wolverine follows suit and gives him time to get his emotions out. And in that, he decides that he wants to kill Magneto and Wanda. And that's it. Like his, those morals and everything that he tries to keep are gone. Like they did something to him that no other villain has been able to do. And Wolverine's like, nope, sorry, get in line. There are other people who want to do that too. And so we see kind of the recruitment process of all all these heroes. uh, I have, um, the words are some, some of the panels. Gwen Stacy goes, excuse me. Excuse me. What did you just, what did you just say to my husband? And Emma Frost just uses her powers to say, go play in the park. <laughs> and uh-huh. off they go. And then like Peter is on top of a, on top of a building crying. And he's like, tell me it's a trick, Logan. Tell me it's, tell me it's, it's Mysterio. Some hallucination he pulled out of his, please, please tell me I've snapped. Just tell me. It's in my head. It's me. It's all in my head. Just tell me. I can deal with that. That I can handle. Tell me this isn't, isn't really happening. And like this continues with I have memories on top of memories. Memories of things that I did on top of things I didn't. I can't even think straight. I can't. And then he just, just goes, Mary Jane. Yeah, imagine having two different memories of like two loves of your life. Two people you married that you're you know, in your head, still married to. <laughs> and he actually, th- there's a really great line, or there's a really great exchange between him and Wolverine on the, on the roof. Mm-hmm. He's like, he says, this, is, this wasn't in the brochure. <laughs> and L- Logan's like, what? Like, you get superpowers, you fight some bad guys, but this this wasn't in the brochure. Just how much crap am I supposed to take in this? Or am I, am I supposed to have to take in this life? And yeah, Peter's like, how did they do this? How did they get into my head? How did they get me this bad? So it it, it makes sense that the character that gets the most emotional development is the character that Bendis had been writing for about five to six years. Mm-hmm. Also, this is nothing against Oliver Copiel. His version of Peter Parker is not that not that great. <laughs> Is it just a design? Because Peter's bald, right? I read this like two months ago when I came up with all the notes. So I'm kind of well, blanking on specifics and everything. It looks like he has just like he has a buzz cut. Mm. But that just could be a coloring issue. But yeah, regardless, best part of the whole thing is that uh, exchange with like how it's not what this was like. This was in the brochure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the two people who seem to be the most affected by the House of M are Wolverine because he knows everything is wrong and he's trying to come to the bottom of it. And Spider-Man because he is the most emotionally traumatized from the changeover. Yeah. And from there, you know, they bring about everybody else and free their minds. Uh, Kitty Pride, Doctor Strange, Miss Marvel, Tony Stark, you know, goes on and on. Um, they think about bringing on Captain America, except they realize that he, you know, in the he's previous, 100. <laughs> he's a hundred years old. He's not going to be able to aid them in any sort of way. Um, so they just kind of move on. Doesn't Wolverine say like he would have enjoyed it too, though? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, if this is the world where everybody is given their, you know, most innermost desires, I'm trying to think of what that would mean for Captain America. Just he not having to fight anymore, being content with who the country is. And I wonder if that's something fleshed out in one of the other side stories. I don't really know. So, yeah. As the team discusses their plan, uh, Wolverine's old shield crewmates bust in again, and Layla is able to cause all their memories to resurface as well. Um, during the fight, Hawkeye splits without anyone noticing, and the rest of them decide to take Magneto on head on. And so the last couple of pages show Magneto being comforted by his daughter Polaris uh, due to the upcoming gala. But something seems to be on his mind, and we see what it is on the final page. And we see this big memorial for Charles Xavier, because in this world, Charles Xavier is dead. So I'm double checking something. I don't know if I. Okay, yeah, I don't have it further on. So I'll bring it up here. So one of the thing, one of the side issues I did read was something that was actually, no, I'll wait before I bring that up because something else comes about from it. Um, so yeah, that's where episode or episode issue five ends uh, with the memorial for Charles Xavier. So with issue six, uh, we see the heroes on the shield helicarrier. Oh my God, I cannot talk this episode um and emma is cloaking all of them with her powers um, she's able to set the course of the helicarrier to genosha and so they're on their way we start seeing all the world leaders arriving at genosha victor von doom is first no mask he's totally cool uh, magnus wasn't expecting him there but he's fine with it regardless um, we see luke cage trying to call jessica jones only to hear that she is with another man so what's up Spider-Man is there too and questions if MJ would have been more successful in life with him not in it because clearly in this world she is. Cyclops comes in. He gives his leadership speech to everyone about no restraint and this being about they can't afford to lose at any cost. But during this conversation, the topic comes up. What if the old world is not salvageable? You know, do they tell anyone? Should they try to set the world back? Um, Jessica Drew's thinking the world is better off as it is. They all got what they wanted, and maybe this was deserved and meant to happen in the long run. Wolverine thinks that's something she'll regret thinking later down the line. But the time for talk is over, because they are arriving at Genosha. And so the gala is underway. We see King T'Challa, Victor Von Doom. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Genus Vell? Uh, Storm, King Namor. All of them are being greeted. 
as the House of Magnus is revealed. And we see the heroes playing their attack between each family being brought up. As everyone is there at the gala, one of the Sentinels falls out of the sky. And Magnus is able to stop it in midair as the heroes leap in behind it. Uh, Cyclops is able to distract Magnus in a way by taking out Wanda to cause his concentration of the Sentinel to fade. And it comes crashing down on all of them. A rogue who's absorbed some of Layla's powers is going around trying to convert some of the memories of the people there, starting with Namor and Storm, uh, which I think is actually a pretty brilliant (laughs) tactic for them to try. And then meanwhile, Emma, Layla, and Cloak are secretly looking for Xavier, hoping that he can, I guess, fix everything. Um, And while searching, they locate Xavier's memorial stone, indicating that he's dead. But when Cloak floats down below and returns, he tells them that his body is not there. There's no coffin and there's no body. And that is the end of issue six. But this is where I want to mention uh, the House of M story that it's the Civil War House of M story that comes out several years after this event. And in the Civil War, they kind of tell how everything leads up to the House of Magnus kind of overseeing the world. So you see, you know, Magneto getting his powers during basically everything kind of plays out similarly, um, except Magneto takes a far more proactive approach in trying to make himself a better person in this world in terms of leadership. Um, So he gets, you know, a whole rebellion going. He fights Apocalypse for control and basically beats the piss out of Apocalypse by turning his body to goo, essentially. You know, all the Sentinels are trying to stop him, blah, 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 blah. All that happens up until their final battle, which is where you see Charles Xavier being killed. Um, He's not just dead. He is assassinated by, if I remember right, I think it was Winter Soldier who assassinates him. But this is where, like, that kind of throws me off a little bit, because in that series, he's dead. Like, there's no question about it. Xavier is dead. That was written years after house of M and I don't think they ever explain where his body is in house of M. So I don't know if Bendis had an idea in place that just was forgotten about. I actually reached out to Bendis to see if I could get an answer on this and didn't get a response. So that's right. It's something that I'm really curious about. Like, was there a bigger plan in place with Xavier that just never came to fruition? But yeah. So in house of M, his body is missing even though he's very clearly dead, according to the Civil War House of M story that comes out several years later. Okay, so it turns out I was was actually sort of correct with the... I'm looking, I'm reading, I'm looking over the Mm Spider-Man tie-in. He is bald. They they did bring back uh, Captain Stacy. Nice. And I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure if... um, I'm not quite sure if... Like, because they have throughout... Peter's house, there's different like framed stuff. Like he, it's as if he's a mo- like a movie star. And Captain Stacy talks about have having like using Spider-Man's tech for like catching crimes, hmm. like helping people, not doing crimes. <laughs> and then Green Goblin appears, and it turns out that oh, the Green the Green Goblin that is in the mini is actually Peter Parker from another Earth. Oh, weird. Oh, no. 
it's actually no, it's P- it's Peter. He's both Spider Man and yeah, he's basically doing a dual role. So he's basically a fraud. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read that. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a few different series out. Like I know there's the Hulk one, Iron there's Man. A, there's a Wolverine or Wolverine 33 issues 33 through 35. I'll read those too. Yeah. Yeah. I regret not reading more of those before doing this podcast, but things have been crazy. And we'll talk a little bit about that craziness here at the end as well. So getting into issue seven, um, as they're all doing battle, uh, we see Rogue tackling, God, I wish I knew how to pronounce this, Genus Vell and absorbing his powers too. Um, about that time, Pietro thinks something is wrong with Wanda. Um, she is crumbling away, leaving him to think that the heroes have done something to her. He storms the battlefield only to be stopped by Rogue and her newly absorbed powers. Um, Steven catches a glimpse of light in one of the towers and decides to investigate. And it's there that he locates Wanda playing with her two children. Both greet each other, kind of like they're old friends. Um, and Wanda mentions that the body they had previously seen in battle wasn't the real Wanda and just something she provides. So her father has something to show off at her place. When I saw that, or when I, when I read that line, I thought that is really, that's actually really, really brilliant, brilliant like, <laughs> strategic plan. It's her body double, essentially. Yeah. It, you morons. You haven't got, captured them. You've captured their some doubles. <laughs> So yeah, during the talk, Doctor Strange mentions that they are there because of her, and so is Layla Miller. And Wanda doesn't know who that is. So as to why Layla Miller remembers, it doesn't seem to be because Wanda placed her there. Um, Doctor Strange is trying to get answers, but Wanda doesn't really want to provide any. And it's starting to come through with one of her children. And Doctor Strange apologizes and brings Wanda up to speed about all their friends fighting. And so she opens up the wall to see exactly what's going on. And Wanda's disappointed. She was hoping that she had finally created a world where no more fighting would be necessary. And at least that's what he had told her. Wanda then shows Stephen what led to the events of House of M. Um, So we see the same panels from issue one where Pietro and Magneto were arguing about Wanda. And it's there after Magneto leaves that Pietro comforts Wanda, who has woken up and is saddened. Well, he is saddened by his inability to protect her. And he wants to take her away, but she is okay. She understands that it's probably best for her to be to be killed, essentially, to prevent any other problems. And Pietro is not happy about this. So he proposes the idea that Wanda has the power to create a new world, um, one where everyone is happy, one where their family is actually a real family and not the kind of disaster that it is. And so he kind of pushes more and more. Um, and that's when the flashback pans out and we see Doctor Strange come to a realization that Magneto's innocent. He's not aware of anything that happened. Pietro is the one who devised all of this. And so Doctor Strange puts out the call to Emma, who is still looking for Xavier, and Doctor Strange brings it up to Wanda, 
And at that time, she is hit by arrows in the back. And we see Magnus has located Layla, Cloak, and Emma. And Layla is able to refresh Magneto's mind here at this point. Um, It cuts back to Wanda. And we see Hawkeye getting ready to fire off another arrow (laughs) into Wanda. Screaming at her for what she's done. He says he loved her and who have done anything for her. But her actions led to his death. And she seems unfazed by the feelings, thinking that bringing him back was fine. Um, But one of the twins screams and Hawkeye breaks apart, seemingly dying once again. And Wanda comes to the realization that she isn't in control of her powers anymore. So we see the battlefield once again. And Pietro is speeding around, taking people out. Uh, That is until everyone is wrapped up in metal as a newly aware Magneto enters the battlefield in a pretty damn dominant way. And he is not happy, not necessarily at the situation, but that Pietro did all this in his name, made him out to be the villain in all this. And so with Pietro captured... Magnus starts flinging these large pieces of metal at him. And it's the art is kind of hard to tell exactly what happens, but it looks like a piece of metal hits him, causing his, uh, causing his neck to snap. And I'm guessing kills him. And at that point, Wanda is able to kind of sense this too, which causes her to snap. And so the tower rips apart and she floats down to Pietro, reviving him and his damaged body. Good as new. And she finally speaks to everyone. And she said Pietro was right. All he ever wanted was for everyone to be happy. But here we are yet again, Magnus tearing them all apart. And that's all he ever cared about was mutants ruling. And it still leads to the same outcome. People fighting each other and dying because of it. And she's tired of it. And she considers mutants freaks. And she says the words that changed the Marvel Universe for a very long time. No more mutants. And then, much like the first issue, we see a wave of white again. Uh, We see some of the characters trying to put up some protections from it. Uh, Emma sets up a barrier. Doctor Strange does as well. And the issue ends with white. So with issue eight, we see Layla Layla Miller waking up in her bed. Um, posters of all the heroes we know behind her. Uh, she opens up her window and she looks contemplative, kind of questioning what world she woke up into. Peter wakes up in bed too, much like he did at the end of issue one. And this time MJ is there to greet him, but he seems off. Uh, he kind of shambles off into the bedroom, claiming he has a headache. And yeah, MJ doesn't seem to be aware of what happened. So we get a picture of all the heroes together again. Some of them remembering the House of M. Some of them don't seem to. And there seems to be confusion, even though everything seems back together. And Peter's completely emotionally drained from all of this. Doctor Strange comes in and says, not everything is as it should be. And so we see the Xavier Institute at this point, where Emma wakes up on the lawn to screaming from inside. And people are in a frenzy. Some have lost their powers. And they quickly realize that if this happened. And Wolverine lost his powers too. 
you know, specifically his like his uh, healing ability. <laughs> yeah, his healing factor. Mm-hmm. That the adamantium in his bones would kill him. So Nightcrawler is able to find him. Luckily, he's still a mutant. And yeah, Wolverine's fine. Uh, and he says, I remember my whole life. I remember all of it, which is a nice way of connecting the world that the, the world that was and the world that has now been created. Mm hmm. Like in a way, he still Wolverine still has that gift from House of M. The, the one thing he had wanted, he has all those memories he lost. Which gets played off of in the was it the Weapon X series or was it just called Wolverine? Uh, I can't remember now. Well, uh, I think it was Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. So they yeah, they go into that with his follow up series. So, yeah, Emma rushes to Cerebra to get a grasp on everything. And they realize that what used to number in the tens of thousands or maybe millions of mutants has now dwindled to almost extinction. Uh, they need to find Xavier to try and figure out what happens. You know, did was the gene repressed? Did the gene get deleted? Um, and as they question this, Iceman walks in fully human, and he looks like he lost his powers as well. Even though this was basically retconned almost immediately following this event, basically saying his mind repressed it or something to that effect, which I thought was kind of dumb. But yeah, he. He looks like he just walked out of a, a very draining sauna. Mm-hmm. Because it's just you just see a bunch of uh, sweat particles like around, like basically orbiting his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they make it seem like he just woke up and tried to go on, you know, with his ice powers or something and wasn't able to. And I think in the follow-up X-Men series, they make it out like, oh, no, he saw other people had lost their power, so in his mind he wanted to try and repress his powers too so they weren't alone or I don't know but yeah he ends up getting his powers back I think within a couple months of event house of him happening so the next scene shows different news reports about mutants losing their abilities Dr. Strange comes to realization that anyone at the battle who is protected by Emma's shielding um, or his shielding are capable of remembering what happened and while Dr. Strange isn't able to locate Emma. Um, he's disappointed that his duties as a master of the mystic arts have failed, that he is supposed to be able to protect from these sort of attacks. Saying I failed completely. Yeah. And Spider-Man is praying that Dr. Strange can remove the memories from his head. Yeah. yeah he says, I think, I think, I think, I seriously think I'm going to be sick. And then when Dr. Strange reveals that he can't can't remove the memories peter has to be held back by cap in a, in a big balloon word balloon in full red different font saying i said take it out with three exclamation points yeah i'm wondering how much they followed up on this in the spider-man series because i mean this is this is something that would be really nice to at least keep going with at least for a little while in his main books because this is something that they just move on past i think that's kind of cruddy because this should affect him quite a bit. So, yeah, it's also at this point that Tony gets a notification that someone's at the mansion. And so when they go to visit it, they see Hawkeye's costume strung up with arrows alongside a newspaper clipping of his death, insinuating that Hawkeye is alive and well in this world as well. So then we see the scene in Genosha with Magneto 
and he's all by himself, and he's trying to use his powers to lift a fork, and he can't. And so he just kind of falls to the ground as all the heroes show up, and Wolverine threatens to kill him. And I kind of got a kick out of the way Wolverine threatens him. He just says, lost your power of a metal, have you? And then he shows his claws, goes, snack, stick. And he's like, I didn't. <laughs> and Magnus just doesn't know where Wanda is. Like, he doesn't know where Xavier is. Like, he's probably the most lost he's ever been in his entire life. And they leave him there, reminding him that he is now the thing. He has waged war his entire life over. And that's, he's now Homo sapien. And then it cuts to Wanda, who is out in some small European village. And she seems happy. Um, during this, there are bubbles showing an interview with Henry Pym, who indicates um, how devastated the mutant race has now become. And then this could affect the planetary ecosystem in a way to handle the change in populace. And Hank also brings up the point as the camera starts panning out from Wanda's position um, as it slowly pans out into space. How many mutants control or produce energy of some sort? What about those that influence Earth elements. They all control some sort of energy, and he's wondering where that all went. Isaac Newton's third law of physics is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, and he's wondering what this reaction would be. And the very final panel of the story shows the Earth in its entirety, and there's a red and white flare sparking from a location somewhere on Earth. And that is the end of House of M. Was that what I thought it was? Uh, what do you think it was? Uh, the Phoenix Force. I think so. Because uh, in AVX, that's the big like the, that's the big thing that is looming over everything. That either hope who's gonna be, become the next carrier of of the Phoenix, and I mean I already know what happens because it's literally the worst Marvel character ever. ever. <laughs> Who then does an unspeakable act against one of the best characters, Marvel characters. Avengers Disassembled, I did not like it one bit. This, I loved. It had a real emotional weight. It tugged at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. It, it also had appealed to, uh, this was 2005 that the, the comic came out? Yeah, I think it bled into 2006, but yeah. It had, what, the action comic not, not, not. I mean, not saying action comic, the comic, the popcorn, like summer blockbuster effect in the story, and then the iconic line, "No more mutants." Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've if you've read uh, the uh, there's another House of M story. Uh, which one is that one? Is it from the S- Secret War? Yeah, yeah, I have not read that one. It's Dennis Helpless writing it who would go on to write X-Men and it, and I will say the covers while they're not East side Ripic good, they, they make things look much better. Yeah. I was never really sure with the secret war, all those different spinoffs, if they were worth reading or if it was more of a, actually I can, I can actually, this part I can actually contribute to. So battle world was basically like the, all the tie-ins were basically different. Or most, if not all, were old events that had a little a little twist on. So like mm-hmm. they, so like there was Old Man Logan, but instead of it being like a retelling of Old Man Logan, it was Lo- Old Man Logan traversing Battle World. 
and running into different characters. Civil War was Tony as was Tony versus Cap, but they were in government position positions. Like I think Tony was president and and Cap was I think a general. The tie-ins to uh, Secret Wars were definitely worth reading. So I was double checking one thing here. Okay, so I was double checking on that. You know the red and white flare. Because, yeah, first I was thinking it was the Phoenix. The other thing I was wondering if it was the thing that reawoken uh, the other Summers brother, which I'm blanking on his first name now. I thought I had all this in the notes, but I don't see it here now, so I wonder if I accidentally deleted it. Vulcan, his brother. But yeah, apparently there was a being called the Collective that formed with the powers from all the lost mutants. I guess, if my understanding is right. I'm just kind of reading up on now, so... Um, I guess it was followed up in The Avengers, where I think Bendis was still writing, which would make sense. So, yeah. I guess that's mostly where that came from, is that it was just go to funnel into another character. <laughs> I'll have to read that, too. I think I have it somewhere up in my room. I just have not read it yet. So, yeah, as we mentioned, House of M kind of got the ball rolling in terms of changing the entire Marvel universe. No more mutants is probably the I'm trying to think if there are any other three word sentences in Marvel or DC that are as impactful as no more mutants. You know, how many years did they go having still been affected by this? Like Avengers vs. X-Men was, was that 2013? Uh, I think, I think it was 2012, 2012. Because I remember being in, I, I was still in high school at that. I was a senior in high school at that point. Mm. So at least six years, and I can't remember Avengers versus X Men very well. Did at the end of that, did all the mutants get back, or is it still a gradual process after that? Do you remember? Because I think they wanted the Phoenix Force to like kickstart mutants again, right? Isn't that why part of the reason why Cyclops wanted? Yes, apparently. Hope Summers was responsible for uh, Mune kind coming back. Like if you, if, you probably don't remember this because it was after, or no, it was right before uh, AVX. Uh, Cable was running around with Hope in the, uh, like jumping through time with Hope in the. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And then the decimation of event would go, would take, take things further with there being like, uh, about like literally one, only 198 mutants left in the world mm-hmm. after the equivalent the, the mutant equivalent of the snap and speaking of that reminded me of it's not necessarily uh, comics related but then i was saying i'm inevitable hmm. that that's that's close uh, that's close we'll get to like a normal no more mutants yeah it's pretty pretty damn close and the closest uh, DC will get will be uh, was Batman v Superman saying save Martha. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. House of M just it started so much that would come later on in the Marvel universe, especially when it came to X Men stuff. You know, I don't know how many stories it had where it was you know revolved around saving what little mutants they were left and the hope of being able to jumpstart their population again and all that. 
it was at this point that Scarlet Witch became one of the most powerful and most feared beings on the planet. You know, there was a ton of character changes because of it. Um, Hawkeye returned from the dead. Wolverine's memories returned. Onslaught came back. Um, Shadow King returned. Vulcan woke up. So House of M shook up a lot of stuff. You know, it even changed some stuff into how comics typically dealt with event books. So, you know, usually what would happen is that during an event book, there would just be little tie-ins with the regular monthly books. And that still happened from time to time. Um, Cable and Deadpool had tie-ins, Excalibur. But Marvel decided that instead of doing that, they would have miniseries written around the event to enhance the world, but were not considered necessary. And so this is something that they would continue to do over the years with their follow-up events. And House of M kind of bleeding into the random trivia section that we have. It began the long-running tradition of summer events for Marvel. You know, the first issue of House of M sold more than 233,000 copies. I don't know what the highest selling issue of comics are selling now, but I remember that being huge back in mid 2000. And then I know by the time I got out, I think most comics were lucky to break a hundred thousand. Something I totally forgot about is that the first couple of issues had both astonishing X-Men and new Avengers above the title before it was officially in a Marvel event. And they dropped Astonishing X-Men New Avengers off the cover to just be House of M. So at the beginning of his Avengers run, Bendis was already trying to plant seeds of secret invasion. Um, House of M, he was trying to think about what the Skrull Queen would be thinking. And it would work more into her favor that all of these mutants disappearing would make the invasion so much easier for her. So he wanted to work that as well come secret invasion time. And then before Avengers infinity war and were a thing writers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely had 60 pages of ideas on what two films could be. And in that list was house of M. It would be a little troublesome since it wouldn't have involved the X-Men for legal reasons, obviously, uh, but they could still hit on some of the similar beats, especially with Scarlet witch And so they've mentioned that they would like to be brought back in to write it at some point, but it would have to be a long game plan. And, you know, clearly they've reduced Scarlet Witch's power set. So if House of M were to come up further down the Marvel line, that's something that they would slowly have to build up to again. And lastly, as we know, the Disney Plus show uh, called WandaVision has... So a rumor came up during a show called Expanding the Universe, which features supervising producer Mary, I think it's Levanos, who was discussing WandaVision. And in it, you can see different books behind her that inspired the show. And several of them were from House of M. So some are speculating that the WandaVision show will touch on different things from House of M as well. But I guess we won't know until WandaVision drops. So I forgot who it was. I think it was either it may have been Tom King or it may have been Mitch Gerard's. But Mitch Gerard's uh, basically posted. Uh, let me find, try to find the find the uh, post. 
yeah, I just want to make it clear that at the time we're recording this, it's mid-November. And so by the time this actually drops at the end of January, I think WandaVision should already be out. So I guess by the time this episode drops, we will know for sure just how much House of M inspires WandaVision. But yeah, as for me, that is all I have for House of M. I know I, I love House of M. It's outside of Planet Hulk, um, World War Hulk. It's probably my favorite, one of my favorite Marvel events. Um, obviously, Secret War, you know, Annihilation. still love those as well. But House of M holds a special place in my heart because that's kind of what got me down the Marvel train originally. Pretty sure. I'm going to double check that because I'm curious. Okay. Yeah. World War Hulk came in 2007. So a year after that. So yeah. House of M is what started me on the Marvel train for six, seven years. Yeah. I, I love it. I think the world of House of M was fascinating. I think it's probably some of Bendis' best work. Okay. I found uh, the tweet I was trying to find. Oh, okay. So Mr. Odds tweeted out, wow, in a just world, the last title card would be based on the Marvel comic series by Tom King and G.H. Uh, Walta, because that's crazy. Also, not a single mention of the comic in this e- Entertainment Weekly article. And like the and he like he sc- screen caps it, the a portion of the article and it's it just it's just awful. <laughs> like it's set after Endgame. The series starts with the married witch and android living in the idyllic town of Westview. We find Wanda and Vision living a blissful suburban existence, trying to keep their powers under wraps. <laughs> but as the newlyweds cycle through the decades and the familiar TV tropes, they realize their white pick offense life may not be as gleamingly picture perfect as it seems. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what that show is going to be like. Now it's just a matter of having the time to watch it. Yeah, we and. Just- Tom King had a great way. had a great, had a great take on it. Uh, he took like a similar screen cap of the post and said, "WandaVision sounds cool." Also, the Harvey, Ringo, and Eisner winning award winning uh, graphic novel, The Vision, is still on sale. Which is a great, great story. With like this specific image being uh, visions of the future, and I don't know if we'll, I don't know if I'll ever get get around to talking about the vision. Because there's a great moment with like a sort of like it takes place before this the series starts with uh, Wanda and uh, Vision that I'm, I, I won't spoil it because it's a, it's a really good issue, but it all I'll say is that it's perfect for people who who are like there for the Wanda Vision romance. Mm-hmm. Was well, there anything else you would like to add for House of M before we get into our outro? Uh, yeah. Normally, when I have to read, or normally when I read um, trades of certain comics, I just get the like the the page count overwhelms me. Mm-hmm. And this, I was just, I was, I just, I just had to know what what, what was going to happen next, <laughs> and the fact that. I, I like I read the whole thing. I regrettably didn't read the um, didn't get a chance to read all the tie-in stuff, but I would I would I would I'd like House of M Universe to be featured in like a in like a story arc of 
like not not a live action Marvel series, but like a cartoon, an animated series, as those are incredibly faithful to uh, the source material. I think that could be a cool idea, like the end of one season kind of leading into House of M, which goes for an entire season where, you know, that season ends with them returning back to the previous world. I like that. Actually, since uh, you heard the rumor about uh, the the 90s X-Men show possibly getting revived, right? Yeah. This would be that would be perfect. This would be a perfect way to like storyline to do if, if it did come back. Knock on wood. Yeah, they have plenty to pull from, and this would be a great one to do. So yeah, before we get into the outro, there is one thing I thought we should discuss, um, and that is the future of Hypertime. Um we are ending the show. I'm You're just kidding. Ending. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to see if I can make it sound as sad as it could be. No, uh, for February we are doing something different. Since it is Black History Month, I wanted to do something special for February. Um, and so, as opposed to our biweekly shows, we are doing at least one episode a week in February. So there will be four episodes for download um and what originally was just going to be four separate topics are now kind of blending all into one kind of two topics and so the layout for february is going to be the first episode is going to be Dwayne mcduffie probably one of the most influential black writers in comics period (laughs) and in television and in television, yes. All of his anima- animation stuff he's on. Just ben, ben 10, Just League, Just League Unlimited, the DC, the, the DC animated movies mm-hmm. up to 2012. Yep, I think his last work was, was it Doom or All-Star Superman? Uh, Just League Doom. Yeah. And that is, that is the, the, like, I don't like doing the whole Seinfeld, the Jerry Seinfeld kind of go on top. But he went on top. Yeah, that's a damn good movie. So yeah, the first episode will be Dwayne McDuffie. Um, basically, what we're doing is kind of going through the life of Dwayne McDuffie for the month of February. So basically, the first episode will be pre-Milestone. Episode two will be Milestone Media. Episode three will be post-Milestone Dwayne McDuffie. And then the fourth episode is where we finally get time to actually talk about the stuff that we enjoyed from him. So we can talk about anything on that fourth episode from comics to animation, whatever, you know. So so February is going to be a little different. Um, We have some plans in place to try and make it a little special as well. If everything goes as planned, trying to work out the kinks there. But I have spent an incredibly long time doing research for these episodes so hopefully hopefully it all works out well and i am so incredibly excited to get these episodes recorded and it's at the point where i think i've done so much research stopping point and just be satisfied with what i have otherwise i'm never going to get done 
And I feel like I've we've been set back quite a bit with our recordings of Hypertime because of me focusing on this. So yeah, at some point I just need to cut my losses and be satisfied with what I have and get them recorded. Otherwise, we're going to cut down to the wire and be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned on an episode of uh, Players Club that you can f- find by the time this, this goes up, you did about 10, 12 hours worth of research thinking back on it i think i've undercut that i think i've because typically i've been able to do at least one five days a week because i can usually do it before the kids wake up um and i know i've done several weeks of that but there have been days where i've done more than one hour you know and there's been a little bit on a saturday here and there so i might actually be pushing 20 hours (laughs) so yeah it's just i've spent so much time on this and so I'm finally excited to get down to recording it. So yeah, I hope it all comes together well. I'm terrified, but excited at the same time. But yeah, I think I think focusing on Dwayne McDuffie is great. Because, I mean, there's no one quite like him in comics. And it's a shame that he, you know, is no longer with us. Because comics still have a long way to go to get to where he, I think he would be satisfied completely. I mean, he both he was he was responsible for Milestone. He was one of the people responsible for Milestone starting. Mm-hmm. And he, he inadvertently caused Milestone's or an initial return to not happen. Yeah. And like everything with Paul Levitz basically <laughs> Base essentially ending milestone, which uh, Josh, the messages I send you, I highly recommend you look at. Yeah, I think I actually have both those in my sources for the notes for <laughs> Seriously, I should show you my source list for <laughs> those episodes. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. I can't wait to get this off my back so I can worry about less. <laughs> just less. Just worry about less. So we might need a just a breather after this, just to catch up. I don't even remember what the next topic is after February. I think it's Spider-Man Amazing Fantasy 15, if I remember right. But yeah, just wanted to kind of give everyone a heads up as to what February has in store. I think everyone will be quite happy if this is kind of, kind of content they're interested in. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of information about Dwayne, a lot of information about Milestone. And if things pan out, just don't exciting drink. stuff. Exciting yeah. stuff. <laughs> I was gonna say, don't, 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 don't jinx yourself. Yeah, my luck, it won't come through. So, yeah. Anything else you want to speak about that before we hit the housekeeping? I'm mainly mad at DC for the way the way they're handling Milestone's return, and by that I mean he, like not re- reprinting uh, volumes of like Icon or Hardware or Blood Syndicate, mm-hmm. but just making it digital exclusives. Yeah, if that's the only way I can get it, then I guess that's how I'll get it. But I would have really liked physical copies of all that. Oh, and you almost forgot we're gonna, we were going to have a guest on one of them. Yes. Yeah, on episode four, when we discuss everything, we're going to bring in a close friend of yours, Alan. And just not so close, but a friend <laughs> for me. Um, we're going to bring on. He was a part of VGU. He is, yeah. No, I mean, but the original VGU. Yeah, but you two have a longer history than 
Well, yeah. I, do. <laughs> I do with him. So you two I are have, definitely much closer. I have known him for going now going 10 years. Long time. But yeah, given the content, I felt we need someone like him on because while we could be fans, it just won't hit the same way as it would for for him. So. And yeah. uh, Josh, if it makes you feel better, we had him on. Me and Emmett had him on uh, Players Club to talk yeah, about when you guys discussed G four, right? Yeah, and that that that's our best. Like that's our most that was our most listened to episode. <laughs> so he's got the magic, is what you're telling me. He he is lucky, Ted. <laughs> or 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 in a easier in a much easier way to understand, he's. The black Dan Riker. That's oh. something. <laughs> mainly that, not and not like personality wise or anything. Mainly the fact that he's he has insane luck. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I look forward to that that episode. I'll probably hold off on reading and watching stuff until closer to February. Just so well, I'm trying to decide: should we do that like here in a few weeks, or should we? Yeah, I guess we could probably just do it here in a few weeks. Unless you guys want to push that off and do it closer to end of February. Well, if there's one thing I learned from doing Dual Shock with him, we have to, we'd have to get him, like, we have to get him. We have to find a day that works for him because there have been ta- there were times when I would sh- go on Skype and wait. <laughs> Hours would pass. I'd still be waiting, and then I just said, "Fuck this! I'm I'm off." <laughs> Yeah, we'll try and arrange everything ahead of time just to make sure. I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. So with that, let's go ahead and get to the outro and this episode. It's I think we've passed two hours or pretty close to it. So as always, please rate and review on whatever service you listen to. Uh, that helps us with recognition. It will also help improve the show as well if you leave any input. So that's incredibly important to us. Don't forget to follow Hypertime to Podcast on Twitter at HypertimePod. Um, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, you can drop them there. Um, otherwise, you can also email us at hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have other content if you're interested in video games, which isn't nowadays. So check us out at vgu.tv. Uh, we have a Twitter as well at vgu underscore TV. Um, listen to other podcasts, both Players Club Podcast and Win which is our weekend news podcast. And yeah, follow me at Twitter at J M I L L E nine, nine Alan, where can they follow you at? Well, I'm taking a sort of like a mental health break from Twitter, which sometimes you need to do. It but can be rough <laughs> for the, for the times I am on Twitter uh, at, at the Alamir. All right. And with that, Oh, no, don't you usually have a Twitter thing you like to? Oh, yeah, let me have your send off. Oh, and I seem I always seem to forget. If you are interested in the video game stuff, please check us out on YouTube. Uh, plenty of videos go up there every week. Um, so, yeah. So this one is from about three days ago when Assassin's Creed Valhalla dropped. Mm hmm. Play the first 30 to 40 minutes of AC, hashtag AC Valhalla 
and then got the urge to watch Vikings. Surprisingly, it made things I didn't understand in the Valhalla opening make a lot more sense. <laughs> I later found out that that characters from that show were in AC Valhalla. <laughs> oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, we will bid you all adieu, and we will see you further down the hyper time. Take care. Bye. This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.